Good day, my dark darlings, or darklings, if you prefer. I'm Allison Dixon, and this is the final episode of Ding Dong Darkness Time, for 2022 anyway. It's been an eventful year on fronts both personal and professional, but one thing that has remained a constant throughout it, and quite frankly for countless years preceding it, is my fascination with true crime. Although this is not strictly a true crime podcast, mostly because I don't feel like limiting myself in my options, I've dipped my toe into it here and there, for instance, when talking about the Sodder family in the ninth episode of Ding Dong Ditch, or the most recent Ditch episode about three insane heists. And rest assured, I have even more in store for true crime episodes. It's a very important thread in the tapestry I'm trying to weave on this show. But why? And why so many of us? Let's find out. The true crime obsession is real. Only lately have we started to see some evidence that it might be growing a little threadbare as those who found a way to make a lot of money at the expense of others are looking for ways to step outside the boundaries of decency. As I said very recently, I'm looking at you, Casey Anthony and Peacock. But that isn't the only offender. The discussion around the recent trend of Jeffrey Dahmer media was very lively, to say the least. But I don't think true crime is going away anytime soon. And that's because it's pretty much always been with us. Or at least it's been with us for as long as we humans have had a proper justice system and the means of printing and distributing the written word. My research takes the genesis of the true crime genre as we understand it as far back as the 16th century. Back then, stories of murder and other violence tended to center on family disputes, often in the form of pamphlets with gruesome woodcuts illustrating the scenes. And this was not material consumed by the masses. Back then, reading was only for those of the upper echelon because they had the time, the money, and the literacy to buy reading materials. And the more salacious it was, the more desirable. And with a lot of these pamphlets came heavy emphasis on morals, either by inviting the reader to identify with the criminal so as not to wind up going down their path, or they might center on the victims and what they might have done differently to prevent such punishing fates. We call that victim blaming these days, and while it has largely fallen out of favor, I wouldn't exactly call it dead, especially in social circles. But as the years rolled on and cities began to establish police forces, the popular interest in true crime evolved into detective stories, pulp novels, and penny dreadfuls. But again, all of this seemed to have the goal of titillation over edification, something meant to provide a bit of a thrill to mostly working class men. Eventually, this sensibility would give birth to the tabloids we all know today, like The Sun, The National Enquirer, or The Daily Mail. Yes, that is a tabloid. Or television shows that mimic that sensationalistic tone. Most of what you might find on Investigation Discovery, for instance, or the entire world of true crime fiction and TV shows like Law & Order. 
But there are many branches on the murder tree. We have a more investigative or journalistic side to it as well. And I know you're all thinking immediately of Serial, which gave rise to an extraordinary boom in today's true crime interest, particularly in the realm of podcasting. And these days, most of the podcasts on Apple's top charts are true crime related. It was also right around the boon of Serial that Netflix came out with Making a Murderer, which we could all fairly call the godfather of the modern true crime documentary, though neither Serial nor Making a Murderer would likely exist if not for the explosive Errol Morris documentary, The Thin Blue Line. Released in 1988, it explored the possibly erroneous conviction of Randall Dale Adams in the murder of a Dallas police officer, Robert Wood. Morris originally intended to make a documentary about Dr. James Grigson, a psychiatrist in Texas who testified in hundreds of death penalty cases as to whether a murderer would reoffend if released. They called him Dr. Death, so you can imagine how many times he ruled in favor of the defendants. He was eventually exposed as a quack and expelled from the American Academy of Psychiatry, but in the course of interviewing Grigson, Morris learned of the case of Randall Dale Adams, which Grigson testified on, resulting in Adams' death sentence. And soon Morris put his entire focus on that investigation and ended up blowing it wide open. If you haven't seen The Thin Blue Line, by the way, every true crime aficionado, especially those who are a big fan of regular citizens becoming the detectives, owes it to themselves to do so. It's stunning. But even given the very clear influences of The Thin Blue Line, we can likely trace our contemporary interest in true crime clear back to 1966 when Truman Capote released his book In Cold Blood about the murder of the Cutter family in Holcomb, Texas in 1959. A book that, despite its many inaccuracies, many still consider to be one of the best true crime novels ever written. And it was likely the inspiration behind many of the other great books that came along after, like Helter Skelter, and pretty much the entire bibliography of Anne Rule. As I said, all of this is to illustrate how we've always carried this fascination with us. So have these historical references ready when someone tries to call our current engagement with true crime something new, or a sign that we're falling from grace as a species. If anything, I think we're just trying to learn how to be a bit more responsible about how we talk about crime. And it's nice because that kind of awareness wasn't really in our collective arsenal a century ago. In a recent series from probably my favorite podcast, Last Podcast on the Left, the boys talked about the Bath School Massacre, which remains the deadliest attack on a school in American history. And there were several accounts of spectators at the firebombing who collected specimens from blown apart bodies or scraps of bloody fabric and kept them in jars as souvenirs, just in case you weren't sure how low people could go with this kind of thing. And I haven't even begun to discuss the role of the news media in shaping and feeding our fascination on true crime. The saying, if it bleeds, it leads, didn't come from nowhere. And sensationalistic coverage of murders goes back a long way. The Lizzie Borden case in 1892, however, represents perhaps the first real merger of murder, forensics, and press for consumption by the masses. It became the original trial of the century, and the hunger for such things hasn't even come close to tamping down much since. Human curiosity, morbid or otherwise, is insatiable. It's not really good or bad, however, it just is. 
That being said, it's also not enough to say we've always been like this because while that's true to a large extent, we have something now that people didn't have back then. We have the ability to distribute information from one end of the planet to the other in mere seconds. I will finish this podcast, edit it and upload it and it will be listened to in Greece within the next few hours. And I'm a nobody. So just imagine, you know, somebody who's really big and famous, tens of thousands of people getting an episode of the prosecutors, for instance, all around the globe in an instant. That is fascinating. And it really sets us apart from our forebears. And though we do have the ability to distribute that information from one side of the planet to the other in mere seconds, a lot of times said information is not correct. And even under the best of circumstances, a fact is like a newborn creature born in a hostile environment full of people waiting to twist it and rip it to shreds before it can get to safety. And the discussion that these shows generate across social media and their effects on the criminal justice system are becoming more apparent as we see courts moving to seal probable cause affidavits and issuing gag orders in order to isolate trials from the very public to which the courts are supposed to be accountable. It seems a very stark irony that in our quest to make sure justice is served, we are wielding very powerful mechanisms capable of destroying the rule of law or at least rendering it moot. And nothing good can come of that. Now, to further answer the question of why true crime, I decided that rather than pouring over and reciting history, I would turn to you folk and ask why this subject matters to you. I posed this question in my favorite Facebook group, The Gallery, which is the fan group for The Prosecutor's Podcast. I really loved some of the answers, so I selected a few to read here, and I want to thank everyone who offered their insights and thoughts on this. Many of the members, like Tiffany, said they just loved a good mystery because they were raised on a steady diet of Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted, or Agatha Christie or Nancy Drew stories. In other words, they were born into the environment and their interests took off from there. On the same token, several members mentioned having law enforcement family members and recalled hearing stories about murder cases around the dinner table from an early age. Others bring up foundational events from their own lives, a murder in the neighborhood or in the family, for instance, or the experience of other personal trauma that really put them on the track of trying to find empathy and identity with other survivors. A couple of you also admitted to just being plain old nosy busybodies and rubberneckers, which I just love. Actually, the aspect of curious voyeurism is a pretty vital ingredient in the true crime enthusiast stew, whether you want to own up to it or not. And I'm not into the whole performative denial thing. In some way, shape or form, much of our entertainment and education comes from getting up in people's business. But I really loved this response from David. And he says, I'm into true crime because I want the answer to everything to be the conspiracy theory. I want Dyatlov Pass to be aliens. I want it to be ghosts. I want Brian Schaefer to have vanished from the bar because he was abducted by aliens or turned into a ghost or whatever. I want the answer to be the Yeti or a CIA cover-up, etc. That intrigues me to no end. But... 
The answer is never those things. Elisa Lamb was not possessed by demons. She had a mental breakdown. Brian Schaefer left the bar. The Outlove Pass was an avalanche or, you know, something else. But I don't think it was some secret joint CIA KGB mission that off these kids for totally top secret reasons. Because it's never the conspiracy theory. I'm very difficult to convince that the answer to all these cases isn't something exceedingly excruciatingly normal. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. When you start having to do mental gymnastics to make the theory fit, it's likely because you're trying to reach the conclusion you want. Because it's never the conspiracy theory. But because I always want it to be, I'm into true crime. I absolutely love that answer. And it resonated very deeply with me because when I'm exploring big cases, I'm always looking immediately for ways to discredit the sexiest theories. That isn't to say that the sexy theory can't also be the correct one. Some stories really are larger and stranger than life. One that immediately comes to mind is the pizza bomber story. Check out the documentary Evil Genius if you want to know more about that one. It is pretty amazing. But most cases aren't like that. And if getting to the truth is our biggest goal in the exploration of crime, and if it isn't, I think people really need to have a conversation with themselves, then we have to be prepared to sacrifice a lot of pretty darlings on the altar of reality and save the fantastical stuff for our fiction. I also asked my buddy and occasional co-host Chris his thought on what drew him to true crime, and he recorded his response for me, which you can listen to now. Hello fellow ding-dongs, it's Chris here. And today we're talking about true crime and and what it means to me. I think, you know, one of my earliest memories or connections with true crime is unsolved mysteries, which I think is true for a lot of people. And really it's that allure that you can help solve a mystery. And that is an idea that has kind of stuck with me. I can say that only until the last couple of years, it's not really something I had followed too much true crime stories but as many you know during the pandemic and looking for new things to absorb our time i ventured more into podcasts about true crime and even some documentaries and i think what really fascinated me is the process of trying to find someone who is missing or murdered, trying to bring those to justice who have committed wrongdoings and how powerful that can be when we work together. And I really believe that we're in an era where the power of many through our technology and our modes of communication and investigation are allowing us to solve that which has not been solved before, as well as just advances in things like genetic genealogy and everything we've done through the Human Genome Project, being able to understand DNA and evidence better. All of those, I think, have been allowing us more and more to bring resolution for the right people and not wrongful convictions. Hopefully, you know, we're moving in a direction where that's more the case. And there's something to be said about people who are willing to get their free time to help solve these crimes, to help find these perpetrators and really teaming up with law enforcement. We know that law enforcement has limited resources, time, budget. They have so many cases. They have other pressing agendas or requirements for what they need to to do as law enforcement. And so the fact that people are willing to kind of team up 
and, and provide an expertise and an interest is uh, so crucial. And, and I think what's interesting too is that we all bring different perspectives. I think having people not in law enforcement, but with different areas of expertise is valuable. Uh, not only that, but it's also a way to keep law enforcement accountable. There's a way to not only hold them accountable, but also keep the story alive. You know, cold cases come up because an investigation hits a dead end. And sometimes those people's stories, unfortunately, uh, are not fully told. And so it's another way to keep that person in the public arena, in the consciousness, so that uh, hopefully some relief and justice can be served. And I think there's just so many great examples of when all of that works well. But we know there's also downsides too, right? Um, people can run with misinformation uh, or knowingly or unknowingly spread misinformation, jump to conclusions with limited info, and that can you know cause a lot of troubles and in investigations as well. And then I think the the biggest you know roadblock or barrier is when people treat human suffering as entertainment. And I think we all have to grapple with that and remember that at the core of all this are actual people who are suffering, who are in pain, who are missing somebody. And, and that is something that we have to be really careful about if we see this purely from an entertainment angle. This isn't fiction. So we must navigate carefully. The last thing I would say is all of this Interest in true crime is about bringing a loved one home and getting answers for those who are grieving. And if someone has committed a crime, that they are brought to justice. And I think that those are the ends, you know, to work toward. I think those are just some of the reasons that true crime has really stuck with me and why it's something that not only do I continue to consume and listen to, but also hopefully bring a perspective that is helpful to others as we try to understand the human experience better. I actually think that sums it up really beautifully as to why we're all interested in true crime, both the wanting to solve a mystery, wanting to feel like you're part of the investigation, wanting to help. I think that's such a big, important thing. The desire to understand, to empathize when both produced and consumed properly, true crime shows, books, documentaries, and the like can bring out the best in humans, something almost akin to altruism, as we find ways to identify and empathize with the victims and do whatever we can to seek justice. But as we all know, that can be a very difficult line to toe once things like money and influence get involved. One could spend a lifetime just consuming the behind the scenes drama in the true crime community. And I'm not even going to name names. I'm sure you can come up with plenty all on your own. I also like what criminal psychologist Dr. Julia Shaw of the BBC had to say on the power of what she calls social outrage. Quote, we like true crime because it's something we can talk about as a group. We can gossip, speculate and be afraid or excited together. This will come as no surprise to true crime fans who often have their own nicknames and identities and bond over the gory details of each episode. True crime is an effective, albeit macabre, social glue. She also goes on to talk about the role of celebrity in the pursuit of catching killers and how these people being branded by the media with creepy monikers like Jack the Ripper or the Hillside Strangler has marginalized the victims and their families by making these people seem almost mythical. 
It even obscures from one of the greatest aims of studying the criminal mind, which is to hopefully gain new knowledge that can prevent more violence from occurring. But this shows a stark divide between the academic world and the real one. In a lab or when you're writing a research paper, you can talk all day about the different elements of the criminal mind, but that really runs at odds with a whole mass of people's ability to take a glut of information and twist it into something and become angry and outraged over it. A medium steeped in outrage seems by design only capable of outputting more violence. And I think that's the biggest driver of our interest in true stories involving murder, rape, bombings, heists, etc. If we can piece all of the elements together, the who, what, when, where, and why, particularly the why, we tell ourselves that it's in the name of protecting ourselves. Even though we tend to find that the more we study these things, that so many horrific things happen to people almost at random or due to the whims or decisions of others completely unknown to them. In the discussion from the gallery group on Facebook, member Ginger pointed out very astutely that one of the things about true crime that fascinates her is the fact that a benign decision to, say, try a different restaurant rather than your usual one could end up being how you are at the wrong place at the wrong time or vice versa. Maybe that decision to try something different is what saves your life. But being reminded that you do not have control over every factor of your life is important, particularly if you're finding yourself prone to paranoia. Being able to function in society requires some form of risk and letting go. And the more time you spend wrapped up in stories of humans being awful to one another, the more heightened your negative feelings can become. My true crime enthusiast friends and I know the value in giving yourself a break when it's all becoming a bit too much. But why am I talking about all of this anyway? Well, I know a lot of the people who listen to this show also listen to a lot of true crime. But also, there are a couple fun episodes coming up in early 2022 that let's just say will be pretty true crime heavy. And I just feel like riffing on the genre as a whole. And to tell you that if anyone thinks you're a weirdo for being interested in true crime, given its sheer popularity and the appeal it makes to our capacities for curiosity, innovation, and empathy, I'd say it's actually weirder to have zero interest in the topic. So I'm really looking forward to coming back in 2023, where we will also be jumping back into the class of cults and then setting our sights on season four. What will that one be about, you ask? Well, I'm still trying to nail some things down. So as of right now, even I'm not 100% sure just yet, but be on the lookout on social media when an announcement will soon be made. It's been an incredible year for this show, and I look forward to next year being even bigger. I've made a lot of friends, learned so many new and exciting things, and it's a truly magical feeling sharing that knowledge with all of you. Safe travels across the calendar's threshold, my friends. I'll see you on the other side very soon. In the meantime, be good, you little ding-dongs.